0: Welcome to leadership lessons with pastor tony rose we're talking about pastor self-care tony thank you for joining us today
1: great to be here don appreciate you asking me
0: yeah so uh, tony i've known you for a, a while and uh, count you as a friend and a ministry colleague uh, a lot of our folks may not know you well they may know of you know your name but i have a, a great bio in front of me and i want to talk through a little bit of it before we get to our primary topic talk- topic we're at an odd time Pastors are facing challenges that they didn't anticipate two weeks ago, so we are two weeks into our governor's initial announcement about churches not having services, which was on a Wednesday, clarified more on Friday, and pastors have kind of been adjusting ever since that time, and so we're going to talk about some of the challenges they're facing and how they can care for themselves personally as they go through this crisis. But on your uh, on your bio, you've been married to Joey for right at forty years. Is that right? Yes. That's congratulations! Right. Four children, nine grandchildren. Yep. Folks, be glad to hear that you have a um, a BA from WKU, and you actually did you play sports at WKU?
1: I played football there.
0: All right, congratulations. Because so of football.
1: that, I can forecast the weather with my joints. <laughs>
0: Um, graduated from Mid-America Theological Seminary with an MDiv, and then um, now I have Southern Seminary as a DMN, but did, were you also at Reform Seminary?
1: I did a lot of classwork there at, when we lived in Florida and then when we moved here, you just can't, I couldn't do schoolwork long distance and sure. then waited a while, re-entered DMN work at Southern and finished there.
0: And then you have a master's in conflict management, which is helpful for anything in ministry.
1: You got that right. I figured I'd been doing it for 20 years. Might as well get a degree in it. Folks,
0: should we'll would be glad to hear that you served as a youth pastor. Seems like everybody in ministry should have a, at least a stint, maybe a lifetime in youth ministry. But you were also on staff at Porter Memorial as, a, as an associate pastor. That's exactly right. You served in Columbia, Kentucky. Um, the, Sh- the Sherbrooke Baptist Church, was that a church plant in Florida that you did?
1: It was. It was a wonderful four years of our lives, but I'm a slow learner. It took me four years to learn I'm not a church planter, but I learned a whole lot about church planting.
0: And then you were at LaGrange Baptist for, if I'm, my math is right, about twenty seven years. Is that correct? A senior yeah, pastor?
1: A little over twenty six.
0: Well, just a great ministry. Well, so you're 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 no stranger to Kentucky Baptist. You've been a Kentucky Baptist for uh, looks like a big chunk of your life, and then also you have a ministry called Tony Rose Relational Leadership. So, that I know the name matters in any uh, ministry. So, tell us about that name, Tony Rose Relational Leadership.
1: Well, I'm afraid that exposes my level of creativity. I just came up with who I am and what I do. Tony Rose, that's me. I think it says it on the bio, and relational leadership is what I do, and that comes out of the crucible of my years of ministry. Christian life and Christian ministry, we are leaders. Uh, as my friend Baruch Mayo said, a good uh, Jewish believer friend of mine, he said, we lead, but we're really not leaders. We're servants. And it yeah. took me a while to swallow that pill. But after he did an exposition about Christian leadership, I agreed with him. And I came up with the idea that measurement and leadership in most places is how much you how much you get done. But I think the real measurement for Christian leaders is what do the people closest to you actually think about you as a person is the real measure of whether you've been a leader or not. So relational leadership.
0: So, Tony, everything that we go through is part of our sanctification. Um, John 17 prayer, sanctify them by that truth. That word is truth. And so we have experiences. And then those experiences are processed through the Word of God, and, and God shapes us into who we are. I know part of your experience was um, a real time of, of, of genuine burnout, uh, extensive. Can you talk a little bit about how that rose up in your in your personal life, and um, some of the the things that, that you went through, and then some things that have come from that that experience?
2: Sure. Um,
1: it is something at the core of my life that. I learned early on it can't become your identity, but it is part of you You should never deny mine was much more of um, If there was burnout in it, it was burnout due to the emotional struggles of depression. Um, uh, As you said, I played football in college grew up in a man's world uh, didn't have a whole lot of outward expression of emotion. We were at the church plant in Florida. Uh, Just our three girls were with us. Then we hadn't had our son yet. And, um, things just started going wrong inside uh the church plant was actually going pretty well. family life was good uh and I kept it all inside because of my manliness and thinking I was a spiritual man. I wanted to hide it instead of expose it,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: I hid it so long it just sent me into a spiral. I didn't know what to do and waited too late to cry for help and By the time I did cry for help, um it was a dark, dark place, and yeah. there was there was a short period where for me, life did not sound as good as death. Death sounded better. Hmm. It was frightening actually. And I was very confused, but God is good at bringing good out of trouble and good out of evil even. And that is the the ground that he used to plant the seeds of most of my ministry from those years afterwards. That was 1991.
0: What are so. some ways, Tony, that you receive personal, personal help and care? What did you find helpful? Um, in addressing the the depression, the burnout, everything that went along, went along with it?
1: Well, without question, earthly speaking, the greatest blessing I had was a supportive wife.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, men, ministry or not, or women that go through depression that don't have a support system around them are the most vulnerable. Um, in the church, what I was able to share with them, they were gracious and supportive. Uh, through connections, was sent to uh, a psychologist, actually, and I still had enough pride in my depressed state that I did not want to go see a counselor of any sort
2: sure. and
1: I really wanted to wear camouflage and duck behind bushes when I went to see him because he was on campus at a college where some of our church members went. Oh, wow. I did not want to be seen going to see somebody for my own needs, Right. but that was some humiliation that I needed to find out what being human really was.
0: Well, so um, I've heard you talk about some some books that were helpful during during some of that time. Uh, some another uh, another the Bible saw you saw you through. Um, talk a little more about some things that you found helpful to work through that or to process through that difficult season.
1: Oh yes, um, it it was strange, very strange that this was the path for me. But that's typically of how God typical of how God does things. I looked for some Christian literature that could speak to my soul. And in 91, I just couldn't find any, Uh, Mm -hmm. not that spoke a lot. I'm not saying there weren't any, but I couldn't find anybody's vocabulary that reached my soul. And that's when I say I stumbled onto the Puritans of all people. uh, Some folks, I wouldn't recommend reading the Puritans during depression. You might get more depressed if you read the wrong part. (laughs) Somebody defined Puritans as a Puritan is a man that, is worried that someone else somewhere in the world is having fun well that is not at all them i found my way to their pastoral writings and they spoke the language that reached my soul they identified of course they used the term melancholy that that was a very normal part of life for some Mm -hmm. believers not all it wasn't typically spiritual in nature they called it a physical problem and didn't believe that prayer or the scriptures were the key to healing, but an addendum to physical healing. So your soul then could be made well.
0: Mm. So, so then just learning to kind of walk through that, walk through that process, hearing someone else discuss, talk about it, normalized it for you. Some, uh, it, the misery loves company is not the right phrase, but, um, to some degree it's just true. When, when you, when you meet someone else that's gone through your same struggle, in fact, I'm, I'm recalling that I invited you to come and speak to a group of, of KBC team members recently. And while you were speaking, folks used the language of this guy's been reading my mail. I don't really get that much mail, but I do journal and I journal some pretty intimate thoughts. And, and so I thought, Tony's been reading my journal as I heard you describe <laughs> some of the experiences that you had with burnout, with depression, with, with um, just trying to process and keep moving forward at the, at the same time. In particular, Puritan writer, that you have found uh, that you found especially helpful just on that subject of a of, um, of, of burnout depression
1: yes um, a, a comment about what you just said Todd that is the beauty of suffering is you get the comfort of God and then he gives you the ability to comfort others who are in the same boat
0: second Corinthians 1 four. you just You got it
1: yep. you got it uh, that's a, a chapter that's a camping spot for me and mm. I don't necessarily like the truth. Uh, I do love it. And the truth is that sometimes the only way to learn compassion is to go through the school of suffering. Right. We just need it. But the first Puritan that helped me, um, strangely to me, even then was Richard Baxter. The only thing i read by him was the reformed pastor. And in that I found him to be a rather direct and uh, harsh man, even at times. But I read that when I was, uh, pre-depression and younger because i had to i think <laughs> maybe in a seminary assignment sure um, but uh, i stumbled on the strange uh thing in uh, probably in christian directory volume one of his works called um a word to those who suffer from melancholy and those who care for them something on mm-hmm. that order and yeah. it's just about seven pages of his direct writing about what melancholy is how to deal with it and how to help those who have gone so far, they've lost their reason and wit
2: Hmm.
1: to date. It is the most accurate description I have ever read about the person who's experiencing melancholy or depression.
0: Wow. So uh, you just made a comment then that kind of pivots to what we're talking about today. So uh, you, you said the only way, In many cases is to really learn compassion is to go through something that that um, prepares you to show compassion to others who are going through the same thing. That's not exactly the way you say it. One of the things that pastors pastors are going through right now is they're dealing with crisis ministry. And in crisis ministry, everything is upside down. Everything, everything changes. The plans that they made for tomorrow uh, may not hold up when tomorrow actually actually comes. The routine that they had in place two weeks ago, their weekly routine of whether it was summer preparation or visitation or phone calls or counseling or whatever they did, all of that has been put to the side and now brand new requirements have been have been placed on them so let's talk a little bit about about crisis ministry uh how would you describe some differences between regular ongoing ministry and then this interrupted season that we're in of, of crisis ministry
1: um probably one of the core differences is the sense of control or lack of control and there's a positive and a negative side to that when things are going as whatever is normal for our life and ministry there's an essence in which our routines are godly um, all of us need routines i think the way god created this earth with his, with his rhythms of cycles in the moon uh, the month the week he gave us in creation the tides all of those things show that uh, rhythmic patterns are a way of progress mm-hmm. and sustainability so we have a God-given one and ours is every seven days. And that's why I'm disoriented right now. I don't have my seven day uh, schedule of being a pastor since I retired. Yeah. But the the negative side of that is routines can also lull us to sleep. So crises, they disrupt the routine, which is, is always uh, hard for us to handle. But the gift that crisis gives us is a new pair of glasses to see what we do not and cannot see during the days of routine. Okay. So both of them have a positive and a negative side, and I think the difference would be, is we are forced to see in crisis that we actually do walk by faith every step we take. Mm. I don't know a single person in ministry that can really say I know what to do next right now.
0: Yeah, we might, we might think, know. Go ahead. No, we might think we know, but but, yeah. but but you're right. And so, you know, every day I put together a little list of things I'm thankful for and they usually are related to the past 24 hours, but boy, that list has changed pretty dramatically in the last few few days. I'm thankful for the Lord. I'm thankful for his word. I'm thankful for time to pray. I'm thankful for good insights that he gives. I'm thankful for friends. I'm not sure I've ever had just a category of friends on that list, though I appreciate, I appreciate people. Those friendships have been more meaningful in the last few days. Family time, extended family time. Some folks are getting used to working from home, which is a, a real challenge. There's been some really funny things out on social media about people working from from uh, home. I heard somebody say, um, "Not only do I need to social distance myself from people, but I need to social distance myself from the refrigerator and the <laughs> snack pantry in the in the house." Or we're going to be uh, put on too many extra extra pounds during this time. Tony, can you think of a biblical example of, of crisis and someone who, who walked through crisis in the scripture that might be helpful for us to think about?
1: I don't think I'm ever asked about crisis in any context that Daniel's not the first character I think of, Todd. Okay. Um, it, it came to me years ago, studying through the book, that he had an established habit. And his habit of praying three times a day with his windows open toward Jerusalem even though he was taken from that place when it was run down and basically a dusty ball of uh, rubbish and rocks, not much of a city to be called God's city. And then was taken to Babylon, likely the most beautiful city in the world overwhelmed by all that. And yet he stayed faithful. He kept his bearings. And obviously one of the reasons he did was a regular prayer habit. Mm -hmm. So then another crisis comes his way is his, Uh, companions in government, but evil tried to find something against them, against him. And all they could find was something in his religion. They talked the king into making the decree. If anybody prays to anybody but me for 30 days, you're going to be throwing the lions den. Well, I've only seen lions at the zoo. And -hmm. if somebody threatened me to say, walk through lion country safari or the uh, lion cage at the zoo, I wouldn't do that. Mm
2: -hmm. Daniel,
1: Daniel never changed. What's stable in our life doesn't change for crisis. And so the preparation for crisis occurred during the days of normalcy.
2: Yeah.
1: Daniel's the model in my mind for crisis because he did everything normal in normal times that had him ready for a crisis and he saw no need for adjustment in those areas. So great risk. He stayed stable.
0: So first Peter four seven or I'm sorry first Timothy four seven speaks of uh, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness and and you're you're referencing the spiritual disciplines um, for Daniel you mentioned the the prayer three times a day he kept on doing it regardless of the of the personal personal costs he might experience what are some disciplines that have been formative in your life that that when the the, the pressure time came you you appreciated the time that was invested in those spiritual disciplines
2: yeah
1: those are tough questions I'll try not to stray but one of the things that this whole crisis with the coronavirus has brought up to me Todd is I've never met a Christian and especially a pastor that said I am really satisfied with my prayer life Mm
2: -hmm. Uh,
1: so now that we have all this time I wonder how many of us are working in our prayer lives that we're not satisfied with Uh, Daniel was satisfied with his One of the, one of the great disciplines that maybe may not be made enough of is that of relationships. Uh, who do we have in our lives that we can trust enough to truly be ourselves with?
2: Yeah, it's good. And
1: then I think we tend to shy away from the Bible answers or the churchy answers of read your Bible and pray.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: But when I was halfway through my junior year in high school is when I started reading the Bible on a regular basis. And during part of that time through the first year and a half of college, I was reading my Bible, but not walking with God. Mm -hmm. But something was so attractive to God's word. I could not, not read it. And there is no discipline I know of that anchors us as much as remembering that that book is how God himself speaks to us. And his word is eternal and grants an assurance in times like these. And in regular times that when we don't, read it expecting to hear from him we stray we just will stray
0: so, Tony, my, my normal daily routine is uh, I read I read through the Psalms, all the Psalms twice in a year. So, one Psalm a day, kind of consistent with the day of the month. Uh, the Proverbs, uh, I'll read through a dozen times in a year, the one for the day. And then I'm reading all a chapter a day through a, a particular chapter. But I have to say in the last last uh, six or eight days, the, the the part of those three different sections of the Bible that's most meaningful to me right now is, are the Psalms. Um, they're, they're just ministering in deeper ways. In fact, this morning... I read um, Psalm 55, and the phrase that stood out to me referenced because of the voice of the enemy, and there's so many voices that that I think all of us hear all the time.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: voice of the world. What what does the world say about about our decisions and what we're doing? Um, possibly a voice that that's just kind of in our in our own minds. Maybe a, a a critical voice, and then the voice of the Lord is a voice to us. But sometimes it's the hardest one to hardest one to, to hear. Has that been a challenge for you? And how have you kind of uh, worked through that so that you make sure you're you're hearing the right voices when you're going through a challenging time?
1: Uh, that's, that's a great question, Todd. Uh, before I answer that, since you said you're reading the Psalms, I don't know if you can see that book or not. I
2: do, yep. But,
1: but um, I'm usually not much for devotional books, but this okay. is Elect Lechmotter's translation and devotional book on the Psalms, and it is priceless. Wow. Well, He's in heaven now, but he's a Hebrew scholar, Old Testament scholar. Isaiah is the book he studied for his life. and His commentary on Isaiah is, is a preacher's dream in a commentary. He's also got a similar devotional commentary on Isaiah, but the Psalms, I think, is where the preacher does learn a vocabulary for prayer and for preaching to the souls of people. One of the problems we have, especially during suffering times, is discerning, is this the voice of God or not? Yeah. And if I go back to the days of darkness, I couldn't tell the difference between the voice of the Holy Spirit, the devil, or my own.
2: Yeah.
1: And we tend to listen to ourselves. It was Lloyd-Jones who said we have to stop listening to ourselves talk and start talking to ourselves mm-hmm. in reference to Psalm 42. Yeah. Um, I think the best way I know to describe the voice of God is Genesis 50. Uh, Joseph. And all his brothers are alive. Their father, Jacob, has just died. And so the other brothers get together and make up a story. And let's Mm -hmm. keep Joseph from taking revenge. Joseph's response to their fear is tears. He was brokenhearted that his brothers still didn't trust him. And then he says, yes, it's true. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And the Bible says, then he spoke kindly to them and comforted them and their little one. If the voice of God does not sound like that to you, it's not mm. the voice of God.
2: Well, wow. yeah, that's helpful.
1: Because his son died for us. Yeah and he speaks to his children with that kind of voice.
0: He's proven his love, hasn't he?
1: Yes, he has.
0: Tony Tony, I've heard you say, kind of running the thread of burnout and depression, that there might come a time when you can't trust your own voice and you, you have to hear some somebody else's voice about your about your circumstance. Any, any thoughts on that, On that, uh, on that uh, for, for me, my wife's voice is, is, a, is usually a helpful voice of reason. Um, sometimes I get in my own head and, and I need to hear what somebody else says about my circumstance. Uh, what, what's been helpful for you in that case? Yeah.
1: With that question, first, at least for me, and I think it is for many, um, the depressed person thinks no one has ever been through what they're going through. That's why it's important to have a friend who's been there if you can. Yep. Uh, the other one is uh, we get really stubborn when we're depressed. Yeah. We get something stuck in our head. We just know we're right.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: our spouse or our good friend who's sound-minded looks at us like we've lost our mind because we have.
2: Yep.
1: <laughs> Baxter called it losing your wit or your reason. And uh, he was writing about counseling a friend who came to him and looking for counsel from his pastor because he was depressed, melancholy. And uh, Baxter couldn't get through to his uh, senses, so he said, My friend, did you not come to me because you were ill? Yes. Do you not consider that my mind is healthier than yours? Yes, sir. Then he looked at him and said, Why are you so proud of such a crazed wit?
0: (laughs) Mm, about that? Quit listening to yourself and listen to the person you came to talk to.
1: Exactly. And Spurgeon had a message in lectures to my students called the minister's fainting fits. Hmm. So one day, if I'm ever able to write, I'll write at least a paper on crazed wits and fainting fits.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. But the the point of that is we have lost our reasoning to an extent. I'm not talking about a psychotic episode. We're just not thinking clear. Right. And we need a reasoned voice. And probably the best way to find out if it's a reasoned voice or not is if you think they're unreasonable. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> then they're probably speaking reason to you. You have to learn to trust someone else's judgment instead of your own.
0: That's interesting. Tony, one of the things that, that pastors are experiencing right now is that the guys, uh, ministers who are not uh, um, accustomed to using Facebook live, like you and I are doing right now or live streaming worship services, they're uh, they're having to not only get up to speed on those, on those um, uh, tools, but then they're having to watch themselves in some cases on watch themselves preach, which is very uncomfortable for for most preachers. One of the things that could happen to a pastor during this time is he might find himself comparing himself to some great church that's been doing this kind of ministry forever and ever and ever, and boy, their skills are great, their camera angles are just right, and he's just working with you know a smartphone and and uh, a facebook page or possibly a video camera or a stationary camera um how 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 do you keep from comparing yourself to other ministers and their um your perception of their ministry
1: that's great todd and i'm sure our time in this unique coronavirus age accentuates that um Mm -hmm. Frankly, we're doing this Facebook Live thing right now, and if it weren't for Troy and Brandon in the background, I wouldn't know what
0: to do. So we've got help. That's (laughs) exactly right. Uh,
1: Comparison is always a plague in ministry.
2: Yeah.
1: And there are only two possible outcomes in comparison. One is you will either become so arrogant and prideful, people can't stand to be around you. Right. Or you will get so depressed, you don't want to be around people. Yeah. There's no good thing that comes from comparing. learning from others is fine. Comparing, God only made one of each of us. And he mm-hmm. did it the way he wanted it done. And that's one of the, the, the ability that we can do this during this time is a blessing of the internet and technological age. But it's also a burden. I'm sitting here in my study at home looking at you in your study. Sure but you're not here with me and I'm not there with you. Right. So I literally am talking to your avatar. I'm yeah. talking to a mediated Todd Gray. Sure. So the point of the church process is this is going to come to an end. Mm-hmm. And you are the pastor of the church that you are in that location with. And you are the only man. Those people know as pastor.
0: That's so helpful.
1: The best preacher on the internet can't do one personal thing for them. As a matter of fact, eternity will reveal for us that some of the most apparently fruitful preachers on the internet were morally unfaithful or not even born again. Mm-hmm. Because we can't judge those things. Right. But local pastor, you get to touch him and watch him with his family and see if he loves you or not. Now that, that puts just, us all over. You, but that, yeah, that that's where
0: our- God Go ahead. No, you That is so helpful because, you know, the the first church I pastored, um, in humanly speaking, I had no business being being a pastor. I'd only been saved for a short time. I I hadn't listened to that many sermons. I never preached one. Had no training whatsoever, and was called to pastor a congregation and just struggled. You know, I heard uh, somebody said that my sermons my sermons were were being finished up at 2 o'clock in the morning on Saturday morning, Sunday morning, before i go preach them at, at 11 o'clock in the, in the morning. And then after church, I'd start working on Sunday night sermon in the few hours I had available. Um, but I would read some John MacArthur commentaries occasionally, or listen to John MacArthur at that time, cassette tapes. I'm aging myself. Oh, so yeah. I and, uh, and I would compare myself that, you know, only if John MacArthur was pastoring this church, it, they would be so much better off if they had someone like that who was preaching to them. And and I really felt like the Holy Spirit said to me that I didn't call John MacArthur to pastor this church, that, that I was the person that, that God had called. Uh, he was supposed to take care of that church out in California. I was called to take care of that country church in in Tree County and to some degree that liberated me and that's what I hear you saying that that that, that God has given these men a particular assignment uh, you were in that role at 20, 26 years at Lagrange Baptist and regardless of how somebody else might speak into their life that you're the only person that God's called to be the the, the primary shepherd of that of that flock and that's liberating and, and should be empowering as well it
1: was I didn't know this until I'd been at Lagrange' for Number of years is it liberated me to realize my own capacities too. I don't know of anybody that that grows up in uh, an evangelical ministry that doesn't want to have success.
2: Right.
1: And success usually means either uh, some type of preaching or writing ministry gets big or a big church.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we've got to be careful not to be deceived by that because that's not necessarily the measure of success.
2: Right.
1: Um, But for me, I dreamed of, I mean, I went to Mid-America right across the street from Bellevue in Memphis when it was in Midtown. And, of course, everybody in preaching class alliterated their sermons and wanted to have a deep voice and preach for 45 minutes. Well, there was only one Adrian Rogers. Right. (laughs) Somebody said, yeah, his voice, he kind of sounded like God talking anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, Good and godly man. Loved him to death. Appreciate his ministry. He's in heaven now, of course, and has been for a while. But... I realized after being at the Grange for a good while, that was where I belonged.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I would have, I could not have handled a large ministry.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: understand a lot of things. I've got some intellectual abilities. I can speak, but to administrate, lead, and carry the load of being a shepherd to a large group of people,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I don't have those capacities. So I would have disrupted a church and my own life by trying to do what I can't. So the beauty of that is the only man that can really live life to the limits is the man who knows his limits. Wow. And John the Baptist, of course, is our biblical model for that. His disciples were all upset because Jesus was baptizing more than he was. And that's why I know John the Baptist was not a Southern Baptist, because he said he must incre- increase and I'm decrease. <laughs> he was happy that Jesus was baptizing more.
0: So, um, take, take stock of, of your the, the giftedness that God has, has given you. Uh, don't let no man think more highly of himself than he ought to. Any any ministry we have is a gift from God anyway, and, and we ought to give thanks for it and serve our best there. Here's a question that, that came from, from one of our, our listeners. Uh, how do you think the church will be different after this crisis has, has passed? What do you see different on the other side?
1: Uh, I think there are potential good and bad differences. Neither of them to be worried about or rest of him, But I think that some people who were on the edge could possibly drift away.
2: Mm-hmm. We need
1: to be prepared for that. And that's what pastors need to be doing right now is not to get too muddled in today, but be thinking about tomorrow in the right way. Right. Um, my, one of my concerns is the financial effect it will have and the ability for churches to make up for lost ground if they're able to do that. Uh, I think some people are afraid that we've all jumped into technological use at a new level Mm -hmm. and that some of that may stay that we don't want to
2: stay. Mm
1: -hmm. I think there's a good lesson to be seen there that as thankful as we ought to be for it and use it wisely to grow a discernment in technology to realize that the church really is relationally built. God's wisdom in the local church goes far deeper than we've ever imagined as to why it's really a local church. And you don't do local through the Internet.
0: Right. That's true. We,
1: we never even deal with real people. We deal with people, all of us, who have worked on making impressions through our Facebook profile or whatever we are. Mm-hmm. But at church, we deal with the real thing. Yeah. So, But after this, I think it'll take some settling time. Mm -hmm. When the coronavirus is gone, then that's only one thing. That's just the catalyst that upsets society. Um, I don't know what the differences will be. Uh, I think what I'd spend my time doing is preparing myself for whatever difference comes.
0: Mm -hmm. So I think that, I think Tony, for many the, some of the live streaming things have been positive. Some pastors have realized they can connect with some folks that they weren't otherwise connecting with. I've heard a number of stories of people who had relationships that were not church members, friends, family members who are who are watching their this, you know, watching a pastor, and this is just a normative sized church, um, but watching a pastor preach online and experiencing this, who these these were folks that were not coming to Sunday morning worship services, but are feeling comfortable to test the waters by by viewing a service online. I think that's a I think that's a positive. One positive I'm praying for is that whatever day we return to congregational gatherings uh, man, I'm praying we'll see a full house. I'm, I'm, yes. We've reached a place in, in contemporary Christianity, and Baptists are, are not immune to this, that uh, church attendance has can be replaced by almost anything. That instead of, instead of um, church being the reason that we say no to everything else, in many cases, everything else has become the reason we say no to going to church on Sunday morning. And I'm really hoping that this absence of that opportunity would create a vacuum for some people where they would more highly value their congregation and want to support it, not only financially through this time, but financially on the other side, as well as with their attendance, and as well as with their involvement. I I hope the Lord will create a real spirit of revival through this, uh, this void. Another question that was sent in, ask about that voice of reason that you're hearing, uh, especially in depression and, and in difficulty. So, Tony, for you, has, has, has that voice come from someone who's outside of your congregation that you know? You mentioned your wife. You and I both mentioned the value of, a, of, of the godly counsel of a, of a wise spouse. Uh, or is it someone who's been inside your church? Have, have, you, have you been able to maintain or develop the, the kind of friendship inside the church where you could be appropriately vulnerable with a trusted congregant, um, and if so, what kind of guidelines or, you know, wisdom would you put around someone who 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 thinks they want to share a difficult, middle emotional time they're having with a with a church member? That is, that is
1: a question that'll be at the core of pastoral life until Jesus comes back. Um, I'll say several things about it. I wish I had more specific. Chapter and verse in Bible to say what I'm going to say, but Mm because I'm going to say it not too dogmatically but based on experience Um, One of the benefits of a long pastorate Is I knew who I could trust in my church? Mm -hmm. and I was blessed with a lot of quality men and There were several that I could sit down with and share part of my experience with them Um, I wish the next thing I'm going to say weren't true, but I'm afraid it is. And that is, I think every pastor probably needs someone outside of his church that he doesn't have to have any brakes with. Yeah. We could drive his car full speed. Yeah. Talk and say as openly he, as he knows how, because one of the reasons we won't open up is we are so prideful. Mm-hmm. other one is pastors we we are like everybody else, but we have this special insecurity because we're supposed to be spiritual leaders, and when we're assaulted on the inside like that, we feel weak and vulnerable, we defend instead of open up for help. Mm-hmm. And one of those reasons is we don't know if our church is going to love us or kick us out right um, it It's a touchy area, so. I think so. I think, in the best of situations, a pastor needs a a very kind discernment of what is appropriate to talk about with anybody in his church, and pray that God will provide you with a good godly friend outside of the church who will love you no matter what, but also tell you the truth no matter what.
0: Tony, I think that's helpful, and and you know, I heard you I heard you use the word um, trust and learning about trusting people that can handle or share confidence um, and part of it i'm thinking is not only trust trust them with the information but um are they capable of hearing that information about their pastor are they able to to understand that their pastor struggles too at a, at a pretty deep level uh, or would that somehow uh, do they have such a view of, of their of their church leader that that would personally impact their own their own faith so i think that is a big decision one thing that helped me in In a particular case, was I just needed two or three folks I could talk to about something. I had a situation that was extended over a period of of many, many months. Um, connie, my wife was helping, was obviously a great listener, great prayer partner, and God gave her wise counsel. but but I had some people in mind that i I kind of wanted to share. two or three people I just wanted to bring in bring into a, a smaller circle. And I said, connie, um, who who do you think i could I could talk to? About some of this. And she said, You want to talk to that pastor? And then she described him, and it was exactly the guy that I had in mind. And um, it was just, you know, she saw that too. She saw this was a trustworthy person that I could share openly with. The confidence was going to be kept, and that he would also be helpful and, and, and pray. And boy, that was just, that was liberating for me, as you said, to have a couple of people to be able to share openly with about experience so here, here's something that pastors are, are beginning to experience so we're two weeks into this kind of crisis period mm-hmm. uh, things are upside down routines have been shaken up uh, you know a, a pastor comes to comes to church on whether it's a single staff minister or a multi-staff minister or bi-vocational he's got his plan in place for sunday and he heard uh-oh uh, no groups larger than 50. And he said, "Okay, I can't do that. So I'm going to adjust, and I'm going to do this." And then he heard, "Uh-oh, no groups larger than 10." And 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 he said, okay. We'll 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 try this. And then he heard, "Hey, you don't need to be getting together at all." Uh, and he so he's having to respond to all those things. Some things that pastors are beginning to experience right now, two weeks in. Some are experiencing fog, brain fog. Um, they're experiencing a mental and emotional fatigue. Some are experiencing crisis fat- fatigue where they would normally have been excited to get up in the day and each day and, and go to work. Uh, every day feels like a Monday for a pastor right now. And you obviously know how Mondays feel for most pastors. You're worn out and drained. But now it seems like Tuesday and Wednesday some pastors are saying, I, I couldn't tell you in a, in a quick answer what day it is. And I find myself telling the same stories over and over. What are your, what are your thoughts on some of those um, symptoms of crisis fatigue that pastors are experiencing
1: right well there there have been many things said on the web and some good advice give it out and one of the things i think pastors instinctively do is think about how can i stay in touch with my people and if Mm -hmm. you haven't thought of that that would be a primary practical thing to do is by whatever means even if it's by snail mail stay in touch with them in some kind of pastoral capacity just to let them know you're praying about them, praying for them, thinking about them. Um, but use the word fog. I'm writing a piece for somebody who's asked me to write about where we are right now and where spiritual leaders are, church leaders, and fog is the idea that came to mind. So I wondered how large one droplet in a, a bank of fog was. <laughs> I don't know why my brain thinks that way, but one droplet, if I remember right, is 10 to 15 micron. One micron is one one thousand one thousandth of a millimeter. Now, if we just had one of those drops, we wouldn't even know we were hit by that drop. Yeah. But if you put millions upon millions of them together, it can shut down an entire city. Yeah. Well, most of the time our ministry is kind of like driving our car. We don't think about doing it. We've done it so long, we just get in it and drive.
2: That mm-hmm.
1: you're going down the interstate at 75 and uh, or if you're 80 depending on how you drive uh, you don't break the speed limit do you anyway or
0: 70 you know you've got your cruise control set
1: (laughs) and all at once you hit a fog bank yeah strangely we try to do everything we can to see further down the road and keep going at the speed we were going
0: at that's interesting that's really interesting
1: yeah we turn our bright lights on and what does that do it it makes it worse and so, in the coronavirus time, we don't have bright lights. We don't even have headlights. Yeah. So, the the thing that I've used to help my thinking about it, I've done two things. One is I've tried to analyze my perspective. Is this coronavirus crisis has it taken things from me, or has it given things to me, or has it done both?
2: Hmm.
1: It's taken many things away. But one of the things that has given me is a reminder that the Lord Jesus said. Without me, you can do nothing. Mm-hmm. So I'm asking, who does the real work in my ministry?
2: Yeah,
1: me or God. So it's it's kind of a revealing time to say how much of me is wrapped up in the doing of ministry instead of the one I really serve for. Mm-hmm. That kind of sounds piet like a little too much piety or uh, too spiritual. But for me, it's been very refreshing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Ask that question and see. Oh. I thought maybe I could handle that without God, without even realizing I wasn't including Him on my plans. Uh, so I, I think that's one thing. And then to realize that driving our cars, we just need to put the brakes on, yeah, and slow down, and live within the limits that have been placed on us without our control.
0: Yeah. That's, that's so helpful. Hey, I want to encourage our viewers, uh, feel free to send in your questions. The questions you're asking, many of those are, are making their way over to me. So please please keep doing that. Um, so, Tony, the fog analogy, let's just take that out there for just a second. So I'm driving in fog. I've slowed down from 70. I was on 65. I was slowing down from, slowed down from 70 down to about 60 or, or 55 or whatever, uh, but I still have this angst about seeing further down the road. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm viewing myself on heading towards Shepherdsville out of Louisville. I'm, I'm, look, I'm wanting to see a sign up there, something that's familiar. Uh, one of the things that pastors are trying to look at down the road at right now is they're gauging finances. Um, they, they know that the church is not a business, but there are functions of the church that are business-related, um, gi- givers give. Tithers send in their tithes or bring in their tithes. Bills are paid by those by those donations or tithes. So, uh, pastor, or salaries are paid as well. So, how would you encourage a pastor who's right now experiencing some degree of concern, maybe a great deal of angst or anxiety, about about the giving level of the church during this during this time?
1: Yes, I think in the long run, that may be the most concrete battle the church faces. Uh, and maybe the most intense pressure on many pastors. Um, Some churches are in a spot where they can sustain this better than others. Mm -hmm. So we have to face that reality. There's no way to imagine that away, uh, magically make it go away, or be so super spiritual that you don't feel it. You're going to feel it. And I know your heart is heavy over that with your position for Kentucky Baptist, but I think it would be a time for a pastor not to be shy to tell the truth to his church people. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be begging for money. Right. It's just going to be a reminder. And with every reminder you give your people, you also remind them that you're aware some of them don't have their jobs to give money. Absolutely. And yep. the scripture giving principle is to give according to what we have, not according to what we don't have.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The divine wisdom in that, it, it sounds so simple, but I think we fail to bring that up at times. And you know, the, it relieves the pressure, but it also, it takes the pastoral burden of the sustenance of the core ministries of the church and passes it out to the body.
2: Mm-hmm. That's you really see, good.
1: Historians say George Mueller never asked for money, but George Mueller was a master in making his needs known.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's time to broadcast the needs, the real ones. Yeah, you got to do it with shame. This yeah. is God's work. It, it, there's no shame in that.
0: And Tony, that's the struggle. So now, now we're, you know, bringing in these voices that you hear pastors, um, hear a voice. Am I just thinking about my own self preservation by mentioning, mentioning money. And, and they have to be, they have to be liberated from, from that question because yes. giving is a discipleship issue. It's a, it's a faithfulness, uh, trusting in the Lord, issue. One of those helpful things I think that um, I've heard of a pastor doing during this kind of online service time was that many churches are kind of tightening up or condensing maybe the time period, message might be a little bit shorter, fewer songs in the worship service, but I think one element to probably leave in place that could be helpful would be uh, if I was doing this, I would want to leave the offertory in place. I would have a two minute song or a two minute musical interlude and and announce that this is, this is our offering time. Uh, mm-hmm. This and we give for these reasons. We're we're givers because God gave to us. God provides for, for us as well. And this would be the good time for you to go to your online giving and send in your tithe or to write out the check if you're gonna mail it in or make preparations to get that to the church. And and, and we're gonna you know, we're gonna have the two minute song during this time for you to pray about your gift and send that in. And here's why it's needed especially at this time. I think that can't be that can't be neglected. Um, it, it, I think we're going to be very intentional about, about broadcasting. As you said, making church members aware, most Christians who are active church members, they love their church. They yes. want to see it survive and thrive. They don't want to see their pastor struggle. They don't want to think that he's worried about finances through this through this time. And so, as you said, the, the need needs to be made known. Um, here's another question that came in regarding to uh, how to make sure you're balancing care for the church and care for your own family during this time of this time of crisis. I think it's very easy, uh, especially if a pastor is working from home to think I'm at home all the time. And so I can respond to church needs now 24 seven and the family's always kind of getting, um, uh, kind of leftovers from their pastor. What would you say about maintaining that balance?
1: Uh, that's something that's been of keen importance to me throughout my ministry and marriage. I do get surprised how often that we don't pay attention to the biblical requirements in first Timothy for being a pastor mm. and that he must manage his own household wealth or house. We manage the household of God. Um, be a one woman man, be faithful, uh, teach his children rightly. We don't have an option there at any time in life.
0: Right.
1: We really don't. And I just spoke with a good friend of mine out on the West coast, Today, good and godly man. And he said, You know, he said, anything you find about family and how to talk to your children during these times, he said, I find myself sitting at the table knowing I need to talk to them or ask questions, but I don't know what to say. And I feel terrible. I said, Isn't that a worst feeling in the world is a godly father? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the natural strains are going to be there. And yeah, in one house, it doesn't matter how much you love each other, you are going to get on each other's nerves. But the church needs jesus way more than they need the pastor yeah and if the pastor spends his time giving the church jesus instead of himself he won't grow out of proportion and his family will be safe That's interesting. that, that sounds sanctimonious but it's true
0: yeah. yeah makes makes perfect makes perfect sense keep keep sending them back to the wonderful counselor the the mighty god the everlasting father the prince of peace um, reminding that he's the he's the true caregiver through uh, any, any any crisis. Tony, uh, some pastors are, are, are watching us live during this time. Others will watch later uh, through, through this Facebook opportunity. If you were sitting down face-to-face with a pastor right now and um, he just he just said, Tony, any wisdom for me as I try to lead a church uh, through this crisis, uh, how should I be taking care of myself what, what routine should I have in place that I'm trying to get in each day to make sure I'm caring for myself? Because if, if, if the pastor burns out or gets overly fatigued or becomes overly discouraged, then he, he can't help his church, he can't help his family. So um, how should I care for myself during this time?
1: That's, that's very good, Todd. The, the simple answer would be the same way you care for yourself at other times. Mm -hmm. but that's the beauty of crises they reveal where we're not Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: the whole idea of self-care what you said i think at the very beginning i think the first time i heard the idea of self-care i thought it was sinful Mm -hmm. because i'm not supposed to think of myself but that's not true at all right if we don't have the discipline of caring for our own selves a creature that god made in his image and has called us to serve his church Actually, we need to be the most fit psychologically, morally, physically of anybody in the church if we can be, because Mm -hmm. we're we're tasked by God himself to shepherd that flock. Right. So there are a number of things to do. I have a word for the year this year. I'll show you another book. This is a little book by Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs, the um, rare jewel of Christian contentment. Okay. I have to work hard at contentment.
0: Could you give that title, the title and author, one more time?
1: It's uh, Jeremiah Burroughs, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment.
0: Okay, thank you.
1: This is a booklet format. He's got a a whole book on it, not a large one, in the Puritan paperback series, I think. Um, But this has revealed more of my discontent than anything has in a while. So, you know, can I be content when I'm limited to my house, when I want to go out, when I want to do anything. Um, and the other thing that's important to me is it's a wonderful time for proper self-examination. Horizontally speaking and spiritually speaking, the The most the thing I deal with most for myself and with pastors is having an accurate self-knowledge or self-understanding. Mm-hmm. I learned that if I didn't understand myself, I couldn't truly apply the gospel to myself. I couldn't be open with God about what I really was if I didn't know what I was. Mm -hmm. And when I built my ministry based on a persona instead of a person, it built also insecurities inside, uh, fear of man inside, fear of being found out. So times like these strip all that away. And I would just ask God to speak to me with his words and his x-ray vision that he has through the word that divides between soul and spirit and Mm -hmm. realize I'm naked and laid bare before the eyes of him with whom I had to do. But right after that, realized that we have a great high priest, Jesus, the son of God, who invites us to come to his throne of grace. Yeah. When's the last time have we've been at that throne of grace and been stripped bare naked and found ourselves accepted in the beloved and found a confidence we didn't know was there to be found.
0: So I'm, I'm hearing you say, be very honest and transparent with, with the Lord, uh, confess your, confess your weaknesses, confess your struggles, confess your worry, your anxiety, um, all the pressure that you're feeling, confess that to the Lord and just, just let, um, let, let Christ our high priest begin to minister as only, it's only he can.
1: Yes. And the other thing is very practical. I don't know anybody that hasn't said this, that if they had, if I had more time, I would do this. Yeah. I'd learn to play the piano, or I'd read this book, or I'd pray more. Well, we've got the time.
0: Got some time. <laughs> good time to take up walking, or or um, I'm not going to be a, a, a doctor and prescribe any kind of physical routine for, for someone, but it is a good time to pick up some routines that we uh, didn't have before. Tony, uh, one of the routines for me that was really helpful through a, a real season of burnout, in fact, there were three things I put in place and that that were sustaining I couldn't quit I couldn't stop my work because my family depended on what I was doing at the time I, I couldn't take a long break from the church because the church just didn't have the resources to provide for a long break so what I did do was I started practicing a weekly Sabbath I uh, tried the best I could to shut it all down for one, one full day, if I could, and, I could, and it's, it was hard to do that 100%, but but to not think about work or to engage in, in, in work for one day a week. Uh, the second thing was to try to schedule a quarterly time off where I could take a few days every quarter and just be away from the work, whether it was a vacation or a staycation or, or, or whatever. But the daily thing that helped me probably most was about 15 or 20 minutes of, of, of the practice of solitude every day. I had a place where every day I'd go and sit between the time I got finished with my work at church and before I got home. And that 15 or 20 minutes of uh, this wasn't Bible reading time. I did that early in the morning. It wasn't prayer time. I did that early in the morning. It wasn't book reading time. I did that at some other time. This was just time to sit with a cup of coffee and just do nothing. And that was probably uh, as life giving as any practice that I had during that, uh, during that time. So I carry a, I carry a a lawn chair in my car with me at all times now. And if the weather's nice enough, I'll pull over in a good quiet spot uh, in a busy day and take 15 minutes somewhere it just kind of clears my head and helps me be almost human uh, for the for the rest of the the rest of the day.
1: Can I ask you a question, Todd? You bet. What do you think it is about that solitude that really does kind of clear your head and give you a sense of uh, more of a foundation under your feet?
0: You know, I have to say, I have to say, I have no idea why it works, but I just know, I just know it works. It, and it and it may even be a little bit of a daily Sabbath practice that I'm saying I'm not doing anything right now to help anybody, um, except I'm just sitting here and letting the Lord minister to me. And maybe it's just the matter of, of be still and know that I'm God. It's an application of Psalm 46, verse 10, and it's a it's a it's a it's a lived out practice of trusting the Lord. To be God in my life, my family, the ministry He's called me to to lead. Uh, do you have a better answer than that? Is there is there a genuine, is there a real answer to why solitude works?
1: No, I was a, that was a genuine question, and yeah. I agree with what your answer is. I, I do think that it is a step of faith to take a day off and to have a time of solitude in a day like that. Mm-hmm. It says God really is running His world, and He doesn't need my help to do it. Yeah, we're probably well, more afraid to really do that than we know.
0: Well, he's he's able, Tony. You've been you've been super helpful. You've been a friend to me and folks who, who, who've who watched and paid attention. Now you're they're, they're going to value you as well. Um, Part of your time is spent with North American Mission Board. Uh, that wasn't mentioned. So if folks want to reach out to you and learn more about your ministry, uh, what's, the, what's the best way to do that? Should they just contact Kentucky Baptist and say, how do I reach Tony? Or is there uh, some avenue of, of contact that they might uh, have with you by email or otherwise?
1: Yeah, they could email me or get it through contacting you all. And I can verbally give my email. It's Tony at
0: Tony at Leadership dot com. Yep, and you primarily help pastors. I mean, that's a lot of what you do is is you're serving you're serving pastors right now. Yes, In, I any am. Additional, Love doing it. Any additional thing that I should have asked that I didn't ask before we close out with with prayer?
1: No, I think you've tapped whatever gray matter I had today, brother. You're,
0: good. You're a good, your good brother and a, and a reminder, I hope to everyone that's, that's viewing and a constant reminder to me, is that uh, our experiences do not happen in a vacuum. They don't happen, it's not just some random thing that's happening to us. We're not we're not uh, just the victims of a fallen world. God really does work all things together for good. We can all say with Joseph in Genesis 50 verse 20, you meant this is Z for evil. Uh, God meant it for good. And uh, even the very very difficult things we go through, including this coronavirus, God means good for this um, for this time. Tony, thank you for taking the time and, and joining us. Sure
1: thing, sure thing. Yeah. Todd, great to be with you. I did think of it. I have a, a new website that's in its birthing okay. stage, but it's the same almost as my email address: www.troseleadership.com.
0: All right, uh, www.troseleadership.com. Let me pray for us, and we'll we'll conclude our time. Great, Todd. Dear Lord, thank you for Tony. Lord, thank you for uh, 2,360 Kentucky Baptist pastors trying to lead churches the best they can. Thank you, Lord, that they're not limited to their own resources. We we, we serve you, Lord God, and, and you have all power. In fact, your word says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, that you might strongly uh, support those whose heart is completely yours. And so thank you that you're able to give every minister of every congregation everything they have need of. We're reminded, dear Lord, that your name is Jehovah Jireh, that you're our Provider, and you've promised to meet all of our needs according to your riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And and Father, we believe not only. Uh- financial and material needs but also mental emotional spiritual needs as well friendship needs relational needs everything we have need of you're able and glad dear lord as tony's help us remember to provide please help pastors father god to hear your voice above every other voice during these days to walk close with you and that we can uh it can be said of us as it was said of enoch that enoch walked with god and he was not for god took him help us dear lord just to walk with you we pray this in jesus name amen Thank you for listening to Leadership Lessons with Dr. Todd Gray. Find past episodes on our website at kybaptist.org slash leadership lessons.